as we think about suffering in this world, there are several different directions that we could go. We could reflect on the Rwandan genocide that happened about 20 years ago, where 800,000 people were killed, 250 to 500,000 women were raped. Current day, we could look at North Korea and their prison camps, where human rights abuses and torture is extreme. Or we could stay local and just look at the news over the last three weeks in Chicago, the number of shootings and blood and murder that's been occurring on our streets. And for all the forms of suffering and pain in the world, as we know as Christians, we are supposed to engage and enter in those situations with compassion and truth. But the reality is, not only is there a lot of suffering out there in the world, but there's a lot of suffering in our own lives as well. I know some of you are suffering to the extent we do in America for being a Christian. Some of you uh, college students have converted to Christ or, or you're taking Christ seriously and you go back to your families who maybe are dissing you and dismissing you. Some of you are suffering in forms of your body. It's just not working the way it's supposed to work. Some of you are suffering in your minds. You have some mental health issues, perhaps depression that's been hanging around all winter and it's still there. Some of you are suffering at schools not going so well. Others may be suffering vocationally. And you just take all that out there and you just put on top of that our struggle with sin. And we can be one big mess. So here's what we're going to do this morning. I am not going to challenge you to change your circumstances. So go ahead and, and breathe a sigh of relief. Because most of you can't do anything about it. It is what it is. So this is what I want you to do this morning. Just sit there and be encouraged. Be encouraged that in all the mess that's going on in your life, whether you believe it or not, be encouraged that God is working for your good. That's what we're going to see this morning. So let's go ahead and see it by going to the book of Romans. Let's go to the book of Romans. We've been in Romans for a long time, and we finally made it to Romans chapter 8. Now, we don't want to just jump into one of the most famous passages in the Bible without understanding a little bit of context, right? So a little bit of the context for Romans chapter 8, as we've been seeing, is the ministry of the Holy Spirit. The ministry of the Holy Spirit to give us new life in Christ. The ministry of the Holy Spirit enabling a life of holiness. The ministry of the Holy Spirit proclaiming that we are adopted children of God. And the ministry of the Holy Spirit assuring us of a glorious inheritance in the future. But also the ministry of the Holy Spirit and our sufferings. And today's passage continues with that ministry of the Holy Spirit and even brings in the work of God the Father. So let's go ahead and stand, and we're going to read the passage this morning from Romans 8, 26 through 30. Romans 8, 26 through 30. Listen to the Word of God. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself, uh, by the way, not itself, Spirit's God, himself 
intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. You may be seated. This summer, I took a class uh, that Douglas Moo was teaching online on the book of Romans. He's a professor at Wheaton, and he gives a great perspective on where we are going in this passage He says that in our suffering and in our groaning, as we groan, we are sustained by prayer, providence, and predestination. Now, what we're going to see in these three things, prayer, providence, predestination, once again, is not calling you to do something. All right? So don't just, just once again, relax. Be encouraged about these very God-centeredness of these texts to encourage you of what God is doing because God is doing something, even when you feel like there's nothing you can do. We are going to be talking a lot about suffering this morning, so I'm going to just go ahead and stop and acknowledge the obvious. And here's the obvious. Most of you are young. I I see that. I don't know what the average age in here is, but it's probably young. And some of you, in your young life, you've had a lot of suffering. You have. You're young, but you've suffered a lot. But, but maybe most of you haven't suffered a lot. And I, I really don't mean this to be mean to anybody here, but I'm just going to tell you, it's coming. I guarantee you. Maybe not today, maybe tomorrow. It may be 10 years from now, 20 years from now. But suffering, great suffering and pain will come into your life. And when it does, chances are you're not going to listen to the preacher, (laughs) right? Sometimes you don't want to hear truth in the pain. So what I'm kind of doing this morning is preparing you for the suffering. I'm trying to build a foundation of who God is, what he's doing, so that when you enter that suffering, you'll be like, okay, this is who God is. This is what he's doing. I'm going to stand firm in his truth. I I liken it to like if you're going to go on this great camping adventure, in the wilderness somewhere. And I give you a gift card to REI or to some camping store. And you go to REI and you start buying all this cool stuff. And then you and your friends start laughing as you, just for kicks, you throw in an emergency kit, emergency kit, right? Just for kicks, you, let's buy some flares just in case we get lost. Let's just buy some other accessories just in case, just for fun. And you never know if you're going to use them, and you probably won't use them. But I guarantee you, what you learn here this morning, you will use. These are not little accessories. This is like, this is truth that you're going to need, that when the suffering hits, you're going to need this to stand firm. So let's do it. Let's start with prayer. Not your prayer, but prayer of the Holy Spirit on your behalf. Verse 26. I don't know if you've ever seen this before, but this is amazing. It says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. 
For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. We've seen through all of Romans 8 that the Holy Spirit helps us in a variety of ways, and one of the ways that he helps us is in our weakness. And one of the weaknesses spoken of right here is when we do not know what to pray for as we ought. You ever come before the Lord in prayer? You're calling out to him, and you're not quite sure what to pray for. You know his will revealed in the word, but you're not quite sure on certain situations and circumstances how you're supposed to pray for people or for what's coming up. You're not, it could go either way. You don't know God's will. You, you can't obviously read his mind. You don't know what's appropriate to pray, and so you, you don't know what to pray. My, my guess is a lot of you are transitioning. Who are we kidding? Our church is always transitioning. You guys are making decisions and you're trying to see what's next. And it's not just the young people who are transitioning. The old people are trying to figure things out. They're making some transitions and what's coming up next. They're not quite sure. They're, they're crying out to the Lord, but they don't even know what they're supposed to be praying for. And so they just come before God. They're like, I don't have a clue what I'm supposed to pray. And you feel weak. And in situations like that, the Bible tells us right here, the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep her words. Okay, just a little, little stop real quick. This is not speaking in tongues. So for those of you who learned that this is speaking in tongues, hate to burst your bubble, it's not, all right? Because not everyone has the gift of speaking in tongues, but everybody who's a believer has the Holy Spirit praying for them. And that's what this passage is talking about. So what does it look like when the Holy Spirit prays for you? What does that look like? Well, some things it's like we come to the Lord in prayer and we're like, God, I just don't know. And you're in anguish and you hurt inside and that the Holy Spirit takes all that groaning in you and turns it into prayers to God. And maybe that's what's happening. Or, or the Holy Spirit intercedes for us without uh, all of our internal groaning. And in fact, it's the Holy Spirit's groaning and it's too deep for words. So it's nothing that we hear. Either way, I'm not quite sure what it looks like, but the Holy Spirit is praying for us when we do not know how to pray. That's encouraging, but it gets better. Keep going. Verse 27. And he, that's the Father, and he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Well, I really like this. It says that the Father searches our hearts. Okay, if you're praying for something right now, I don't know what it is, the Father knows your heart. And he knows that hopefully you really want to do his will, right? When you come to the prayer, you're like, God, I really want to do your will. I just don't know what it is, but I really want to do it. And so the Father sees that heart, and he sees that it's weak. Ah, but what else does it say? The Father also knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Holy Spirit starts to pray for the saints according to the will of God. And this is the coolest thing, right? So this is what it looks like, right? You come before the Lord in prayer. You start praying a little bit, yet you're still not quite sure what you're supposed to pray. You don't know the will of God. This is what happens. The Holy Spirit fills the gap. And he intercedes for you exactly in line with the will of God. How cool is that? So you start praying. Maybe you're a mess. 
not quite sure what to pray, kind of confused. The Holy Spirit fills the gap, intercedes for you exactly in line with the will of God. Oh, next week we're going to see Jesus praying at the right hand of the Father for you, interceding. But this week we see that the Holy Spirit is interceding for us on this heart level. Sees that we want to do the will of God. We start praying, or maybe we don't, we're just kind of a mess. And he fills the gap. And here's the most encouraging thing I could possibly tell you this morning. Get this. God answers the prayer of God. God, the Father, answers the prayer of the Holy Spirit. God, the Holy Spirit, right? I mean, it's not like the Father's going to go, I'm not going to answer that. you kidding me? God answers the prayer of God. That is God to be encouraging. And our weakness, we're going to pray. The Spirit fills the gap, prays for you. And the Father answers, even in your suffering. That is encouraging. Boy, it, gets, it even gets better. So let's move on to this concept of providence, that God's working all things for our good. Look at Romans 8, 28. I mean, this is one of the most famous verses in the Bible. Amazing. It says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. This is an absolute promise in the Bible, not for every human being on this earth. It's an absolute promise in the Bible for Believers, those who are called according to his purpose, those who love God. It's for believers. And it's an encouragement of providence. And providence is one of my favorite doctrines in all the Bible. And I'm just kind of going to make it simple for you. It basically means that God's in control of everything. Control of everything in your life, control of everything in the universe, control of everything, big and small. And for the believer, he's working everything for your good. He's working all the good things in your life for your good. He's working all the neutral things in life for your good. And he's working all the bad and evil things that happen to you in your life for your good. And the context here is, what is it? It's one of suffering. So even in your suffering, God is working for your good. Now, there's a lot of examples in the Old Testament, but the greatest example is the example of Joseph. Remember Joseph? Remember? Had the cool coat, all right? Different colors. Okay. His brothers sold him into slavery. He gets thrown in a pit. He gets sold into Egypt, and he's there. He's in jail, and eventually he raises up to very high power in Egypt, and, and God uses him to save many people from the famine. Later in his life, Joseph's brothers come back to Joseph and interact with him, and this is what Joseph says. Basically, Romans eight twenty-eight. He says, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So brothers had the evil intention and they are accountable to God for that. But in the midst of all that, God is working in his providence for saving of many people through the famine. Now, I wish I could explain to you Everything that's, that's wrapped up with providence, because it can be very difficult. But, but we can see there are many ways that God is working for good. Now, my last church, I came from uh, Santa Monica, California. And uh, I decided while I was at my last church, it's the second church I've served, that, that we should change the name of our church. You would have changed our name too. This was the name of our church on our church sign. It was this. 
You got to take a breath. <gasps> the Christian and Missionary Alliance Church of Santa Monica, California. That was the name of our church. <sighs> right across our side. Way too big, way too complicated. So I wanted to simplify things. So I led the church to change it to one word. Providence. One word. So we switched from this Christian and Missionary Alliance Church. Providence. Now watch this. I am here at EBF because God took my last church, Providence, and in his providence, it shut down. And the Bible tells me that's for my good. And the question you got to ask is, what do you mean by good? <laughs> right? I mean, does it mean that if your boyfriend breaks up with you, ah, God's got a better boyfriend for you. Or if you lose your great job, you must be getting a better job. Is that what it means when bad stuff happens to us? It's because God's going to give us something better. What do we mean by good? Well, I think the Bible gives us a pretty accurate picture of the good in the context of the verses we're reading. And it seems to me that the good is placed right in front of the Scripture, right in front of us. So look at it. It's in verse 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. The good is being conformed to the image of his Son. And one day in heaven, this is going to be a complete conformity where you will have to be glorified with him, right? And you'll be free from sin, so you'll be completely holy in heaven. But this is a, a movement of conformity that's happened in your life right now that God, through all the providential events that are happening, he is making you more and more like Jesus Christ. That, that is the good. That is the good. The Father is making you more like Christ and all the providential promises he's bringing to you. Do you believe that? I want you to imagine Jesus coming in here, just like I'm, I'm up here right now. So, so someone put it like this. Just imagine Jesus walking down this little aisle like I do, come up on the steps, and Jesus comes over here, and he stands up, and he's about to preach. And it's a really short sermon. And he says this. He says this to you. He looks you in the eye. And he says, I have good news for you. I promise that nothing bad will ever happen to you again. And the argument is that in a sideways kind of way, that's what he's promising right here. Now, it's not downplaying any of the suffering that we all face at all, but it all plays a part in God's providence, and conforming us to the image of Christ. And we don't always see the good right now, right? I want to make sure that you understand, this is not just um, happy sentiments. One of my favorite songs right now is a song, Happy. Who likes the song, Happy? Anybody else? Or just me? I really like that song. Yeah? Okay. There is a, a line in the word, happy, uh, in, the, in the middle of it. And I'm going to I'm going to share a little bit with you. I'm not going to sing it, all right? This is what it says. It says, here comes bad news, talking this and that. Yeah. <laughs> I had to see a little bit. 
<laughs> well, give me all you got and don't hold back. Well, I should probably warn you, I'll be just fine. No offense to you. Don't waste your time. It's a great sentiment that doesn't work. I mean, wouldn't it be great? Come on, give me all the bad news you got. Pour it on me. I'll be just fine because I'm... Thank you. See, I mean, don't you wish it really worked like that? That'd be awesome. Nice sentiment. Doesn't work. But for us as Christians, we're like, come on. Give me all you got. Bring that bad news. We're going to talk this and that. It's fine. Bring it all. Because I'm going to stand firm on the truth that God is God. And he's working all things for my good. And I'm going to stand firm in that right now. Come on, bring it on. And I'm saying it before. I'm going to say it again. You've got to get this now. Because when you're in the suffering, you're not going to want to hear this. Root yourself in God's providential promises now. So when the suffering comes, you're firm. Now we come to the last part. Predestination. Okay, I got to stop before I talk about predestination. This is meant as a promise to encourage you. But what had, I have a feeling of what it's going to do, it's just going to create a lot of debates. Because you just like to debate, right? You like to argue, and especially about predestination. So I want to tell you this. Hold off on the debates. Coming next month, there are two sermons in a row. We're going to talk about election, predestination, foreknowledge, and we'll, we'll talk about all the debatable things like double predestination, all the nitty-gritty stuff you want to talk about, right? In fact, three weeks from today, I'm going to preach the most controversial sermon I have ever preached in my entire life. So come back for that, all right? You want a little sneak peek? I dare you to read Romans 9. Be careful. <laughs> Be careful. But this morning, when I talk about predestination... Let's, let's come on. It's, it's meant to be encouraging. So hold off on the debates. I'm going to stir them up this morning, but I'm not going to answer a lot of the questions. That's coming, but be encouraged. So here we go. Predestination. God's going to take us to glory. Verse 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Phew. These verses contain what has been called the golden chain. The golden chain of redemption. These are interlocking and unbreakable truths that describe God's work for us from the beginning of the world on into glory. So let me give you the five parts of here of the unbreakable chain. It starts with he foreknew us, foreknowledge predestination, predestined, called, justified, and glorified. And now make sure you understand, this is not put here for you to go into some big argument and debate. This is put here to encourage you. If you are suffering and if you are in pain, the same God before the foundation of the world who picked you is the same God that's going to take you all the way to glory. And none of these chains can be broken. They're interlocking. They are unbreakable. This is supposed to be encouraging, right? You're supposed to be built up. In your suffering, God's not going to let you go. What he started, he's going to finish. Every single link will hold in your life. So let's go through each link. 
And let's see the beginning to the end of your salvation. The first part says, foreknew. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. Typically, when you think of the word foreknew, it means you knew something in advance, right? You knew something before it was going to happen in advance. And many people use that understanding to explain this right here. And this is what they'll say, all right? This goes, the argument goes like this. Before the creation of the world, God looked into the future. And he saw who would respond to the gospel. He could see their faith. And he, those who responded to the gospel, he picked them. He predestined them to salvation. And the reason why he picked and predestined them, because he could see into the future, and he could see them responding to the gospel. That is his foreknowledge, which leads to predestination. And, and I go, man, that sounds great. And man, that's even a good argument. The only problem I have with that is I don't believe the Bible teaches that. I don't believe that's in the Bible. I don't believe you'll find that in the Bible. I don't believe you'll even see a verse that says anything like that in the Bible. I think what may help you is to understand that this concept of foreknew or foreknowledge is an Old Testament concept. And it doesn't mean that he looks into the future who's going to have faith. It means that God chooses in love beforehand. That's what it means. Chooses in love beforehand. Rather than meaning that God's going to look into the future and see something and then make it come to be, he said, God is choosing someone in love beforehand. Let me try to finish up this argument here, all right? You can look at the verse later. Jeremiah the prophet. Jeremiah 1.5. Big famous verse. God says this to Jeremiah. Before I formed you in the womb... I knew you. What does he mean? Like, he, hey, before I made you, I had, I had knowledge of you. That's not what he means. He means in love, I picked you to be a prophet. Because in the rest of that verse, he says, and before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. So it's not just this knowledge beforehand. It's connected with in love, God chose Jeremiah to be a prophet before he was born. Another aspect of this is, can be seen from Amos chapter 3, verse 2. Amos 3, 2. This is what God said to the nation of Israel. Listen to this. He says, You only have I known of all the families of the earth. You only have I known of all the families of the earth. And you've got to say, well, what do you mean? Does God only know Israel? I mean, is he not aware of the Egyptians? I mean, does he not know any other nations? Does he only know Israel? No. The word known there means God picked them. He chose them in love beforehand. That's what it means, his knowledge. That's what we're getting at there about foreknew. Now let's bring it to you. The first link of the chain is that before the foundation of the world, God chose you in love to be saved in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Before the foundation of the world, God foreknew. He chose you in love to be saved through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the big question is, why did God pick you? On what basis? Come back in three weeks. Come back in three weeks. We'll talk more about that. Those who he foreknew, who he picked, obviously he also, keep going, predestined. 
For those whom he foreknew, also predestined. What is predestined? We use that word all the time. What does it mean? What does it, mean? it means that God has this plan laid out, determines someone's destiny before the creation of the world. And in this sense, it's a destiny of salvation and conformity to the likeness of Christ. You look in the context here. It says, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to conform to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. So if Jesus is the firstborn and he's perfect, well, if he's the firstborn, there must be others that are born after him in the sense born into the family spiritually, and that is people who are Christians, believers in Jesus. And they're going to be like the firstborn in his righteousness and holiness. Not only are they clothed in that, but they demonstrate that in their actions. So before the foundation of the world, God chose you in love, predestined you to be saved, and to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. You'll also find this in other passages, like the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4 and 5 say, He chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. So the predestination that is happening is a predestination to salvation and conformity to Christ. Are you keeping the chain links together? Because they will not break. God chose you. He foreknew you. He picked you in love, which means automatically he has predestined you for salvation and conformity to the Christ. The first chain leads to the second chain, leads to the third chain, and the third chain basically explains how you became a Christian. Look at the third link. Called. And those whom he predestined, he also called. What does that mean? Does it mean this general gospel call that goes out around the world? No, it's talking about at a specific time in your life, you heard the gospel and God called you in the sense that he awakened you, enabled you to repent of your sins and put your faith in Jesus Christ. Theologians like to use the terminology effectual call. It is a calling. When you heard the good news, something within you, something within you by the power of the Spirit caused you, moved you to repent and put your faith in Jesus Christ. So actually, in time, God's choosing and predestination took effect on this earth when he called you to himself through faith in Jesus. Once again, the chain holds. We move from link to link to link for new, predestined, called, and the next link is justified. Look at it. And those whom he called, he also justified. We spent several weeks on justification. It's the idea where God declares a sinner righteous through faith in Christ. Many people may believe that we get into heaven by being good people or by doing good works. And that when we stand before God, he will justify us. He will declare us righteous based upon all of our good works. It's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that there is only one who's done perfectly good works, and that is Jesus Christ. And he was killed. He was put on the cross. And on the cross, he was bearing the wrath of God for all of us who do not do perfect works, who sin. And on the cross, he was bearing the wrath of God. He was buried. Three days later, he rose again. And the invitation to all is to repent of your sins and put your faith in Jesus Christ and you will be justified. And justified means, of course, forgiven, but declared righteous through faith alone in Jesus Christ. And it's part of that 
that chain and it's a link and it's going to happen for sure to all those who God foreknew, who he picked, who he predestined, who he called, for sure will be justified. And this leads us to the last link in the chain and it's the link of glorified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Now we know what glorified means, being home with the Lord, being with him forever, free from sin, free from this earth. But what kind of, does anything, does anything about that freak you out by reading that? I mean, make sure that you guys are even paying attention. He says, and those whom he justified, he also glorified. And yet you're sitting here in Evanston. And he says, well, he's, he's already glorified you. What's the deal? Well, see, the way this works, in God's eyes, it's a done deal. You're going to be glorified one day. You're going to be in heaven one day. Why? Because the chain holds. Every link follows the next until you're with him in glory. And that's supposed to be an encouragement to you that those whom he has picked, chosen before the foundation of this world, who he foreknew, he predestined them, and it holds that he also called them, brought them to himself. He declared them righteous in justification, and he will for sure take them to glory. And so it is a done deal. And that's supposed to be an encouragement that every single thing that happens in your life, in God's providence, it's for your good. Because in ways that we cannot see, this chain holds. And you're to be encouraged that no amount of suffering, no amount of pain can break it. Nothing. It will hold to the end. No matter what you feel, no matter your detours, God will hold you secure for those who are his. So you're to be encouraged. You're to be encouraged by prayer and providence and predestination, and it's to uphold you in your suffering. And like I said, most of you right now, you might not be there, and that's okay. You don't, I mean, you don't want to say, come on, suffering. You don't want to be like that. But I can assure you, it's coming. And sometimes it comes out of nowhere. I would say most of the time it comes out of nowhere. You can be minding your own business, doing your daily routines, and then that's what happened to Matt Wright. Many of you know Matt Wright. Matt Wright is a faithful member of our church. He heads up our missions committee. He has a wonderful wife and two beautiful girls and a great job downtown as a software engineer. One day last year, minding his own business, all of a sudden he ended up in the hospital for 21 days. And when he was first there in ICU, we didn't know if he was going to make it. In fact, for those of you who were at Prelude to Revival, remember that we stopped our Prelude to Revival and we prayed for Matt right then. And he gets out of ICU and he's still in the hospital and he's there for 21 days and they're poking them and prodding him and they're doing all these tests on him to see what is wrong. What, why is this life? What, what, what's going on here? 21 days later, he gets out and get this. They have no clue. They have no clue what happened to him. Almost died. And they're like, we don't know. We don't know what that was all about. And if you talk to Matt about it now, He'll tell you that not at the time, of course, not at the time. At the time, it's hard to see these things. 
But as he looks back, he can say, you know what? God was working for good. He'll say that God was drawing him closer to Jesus. He was becoming more like Christ, closer to God in his word and prayer. And one of the biggest things for Matt, he says, I started to see myself have more compassion for others who are suffering. That's Christ-likeness. So you never know when it's going to hit. But when it does hit, know this. The Holy Spirit is praying for you. The Father is working for your good. And no matter how hard the suffering is, the work that God has started in your life, He will bring all the way to completion and glory. Let's pray. Father, I really do pray for my brothers and sisters, especially those right now who are in it. And they may think, well, my suffering compared to others is just so small. But it is, it is what it is because it's the suffering pain that we feel right now. And so I just pray that my brothers and sisters won't try to compare themselves to others, but right now to see that you, Holy Spirit, are praying for them. Father, you are working for their good. And you're not going to drop them. Just encourage them right now by the power of your Holy Spirit that you have not forgotten them. And you will not turn away from them. And the work you've started, you will finish. And in our suffering, Lord, even when we can do nothing to get out of it, we should continue to keep coming back to you and the truth of who you are and your love for us. In Jesus' name, amen.